Welcome to Unworldly Everything. You have now opened the door to higher worlds and unanswered questions. On the show, we seek the fringes of our mental limits and deep dive into all things superhuman, supernatural, and paranormal. We are your hosts, psychic medium Bonnie McCliss and my psychic daughter, Julia Gerber. Join us as we move through a journey of awakening this strange, mystical, spiritual revolution. So, where do we go when we die? What happens to our souls when our bodies fade, and is there even a life after this one? These are timeless questions that we have been asking ourselves since the beginning. Humans have always wondered about what goes on beyond our mortality. The idea that one's soul can be somehow caught in between one life and the next, stagnant in some sort of middle world or purgatory, is one that we ponder from time to time. So, where do you begin when talking about ghosts and spirits? What are they, and how do they become trapped in this unseen plane between worlds? Is it simply unfinished business, or is it perhaps a bit more complicated than that? Mediums generally classify spirits in one of two categories, crossed over or earthbound. Spirits who have crossed over are found at a higher resonance or vibration. They seem to have found peace, resolution, and connection with their higher self. These spirits often work as a guiding light for the living and radiate compassion. On the other side of the spectrum, we find earthbound spirits. These are souls who are still very much connected to the life they have left behind. They can linger in strong emotion, like sadness, guilt, shame, or anger, or just decide through strong will that they are not ready to leave their past behind. This doesn't mean that earthbound spirits are bad. They are often just souls still identifying with the part of themselves that connects to the unresolved pain and ultimately seeking some type of closure. I don't believe in good or bad spirits. They are all just souls with a story, like the living. Last episode, we covered the beginnings of the spiritualism movement and talked about some key figures in history that contributed towards its development today. You may remember the haunting clip from the mass seance in London held in honor of Arthur Conan Doyle. Today, however, we're going to be talking about some other influential characters that aided specifically in the world of paranormal research and investigation. Today, we're going to talk about Ed and Lorraine Warren. You may have seen the infamous Annabelle or the Conjuring series, all starring different Hollywood perspectives of Ed or Lorraine Warren's life. Lorraine Warren sadly passed away last year on April 18th at the age of 92. But she was a constant advisor for the script writing of the Conjuring movie that was released in 2013. Prior to their contribution to these movies, though, Ed and Lorraine were well known for dealing with incredible cases of hauntings throughout their lifetime. 
Edward Warren claimed to have grown up in a haunted house, which led to him learning more about demonology and eventually becoming a self-professed demonologist, as well as an author and a lecturer. Lorraine Warren worked closely with her husband as a clairvoyant and a light trance medium. Together, they claimed to have investigated roughly 10,000 cases throughout their career. However, their first true claim to fame came from being one of the first teams to investigate the Amityville haunting, another event that eventually led to many productions of horror genre books and movies. They'll come up and say things like, I knew someone who was in that house. That was a hoax. There's no such thing as ghosts at Amityville. I gotta tell you, I know it was not a hoax. Ed Warren will tell you, Lorraine will tell you, that that house was one of the most haunted locations in all of America back in 1974-75. The couple have several other notable investigations, including one with the Raggedy Ann doll, very popularly known as Annabelle. Together, Ed and Lorraine helped dozens, if not hundreds, of families who were caught in an otherworldly and sometimes scary situation. They brought a lot of guidance and direction into this widely misunderstood part of our world and certainly carved out an impressive place for themselves in the history of the paranormal. Everything in the world we live in emits vibrational energy. Mediums are people who have psychic antennas tuned to the vibration of the spirit world. They develop their own unique mental symbol dictionary and instinctively know how to use it. They safely dedicate their own energy fields to the spirits so they can better communicate and relate their messages. Conversations with the afterlife feels much like a dance. It's a process of give and take, as well as respect on both sides. So the question is, can you communicate with the afterlife on your own? Of course you can. There's no need for tools such as Ouija boards and spirit boxes. There are three rules of engagement that will help you have a conversation with spirit, whether it be an earthbound spirit of the house you occupy or a loved one that is crossed over. The first step is setting your intention. In your mind, say clearly the intention or request you have for the spirits. Try to be still. Take deep breaths and stay as focused as you can. The more you focused, the stronger the signal you are sending to the spirit world. Next, trust your body. When you are receiving messages from spirit, you will almost always feel it in your body first. Spirits don't have vocal cords. They send answers to your questions through various electrical pulses that enter your electric field. The body is the first to respond to this type of exchange. We call this psychic perception clairsentience. This is the ability to feel physically information. You have probably had this happen to you without even trying. If you have walked into an empty room and felt the sensation of your heart sinking, or your stomach turning, or even your throat tightening, you are most likely experiencing information through feeling. Lastly, trust your mind. The key to conversation with any spirit is stillness within yourself. The more you can quiet your own mind, the easier it is to catch the fast telepathic messages and thoughts sent your way. Spirits will send images to your mind in hopes to get you thinking down the vein of their own intentions. Think of it as if you're participating in a game of charades. The images will build on each other to create a full body message. 
This often feels like you're just making everything up and using your own imagination. There's no way to get around this. It just does. Use your imagination and try to trust yourself. You may be experiencing some of these things already without even realizing it. These spirits really are everywhere. The energy of these otherworldly influences can sometimes be really negative or heavy. Oftentimes, people report feeling nauseous or getting headaches or general sense of anxiety and unease in these areas of intense and prolonged activity. You can also sometimes begin to feel extremely emotionally vulnerable or volatile and end up feeling really sad or angry for no apparent reason at all. I've experienced this discomfort in series of negative effects myself on a few occasions when dealing with the paranormal. One time, at an old plantation and museum, this sort of sensation was particularly intense, and a pretty miserable experience for me several years ago. To give you a bit of background, this estate was called Ripa Villa. The plantation is settled on a hundred acres of farmland and rolling hills. The Ripa Villa mansion was built in 1855 and has been everything from a Civil War battleground, a brothel, and presently a museum. It would be mild to say that this place has seen some shit. Anyway, my mom brought a few people to this museum to help teach and develop their mediumistic abilities at this notoriously haunted place. I decided it'd be fun to join them and enjoy the history of the museum and excitement of possible spirit activity. We started the tour and mom began her lessons, pointing out different pieces of history and bits of information and sensations she was experiencing throughout the museum, while her class oohed and awed, some of them even affirming what she was picking up on. I just roamed around behind them, increasingly getting more and more frustrated that I wasn't seeing or feeling shit. Before we had entered the building, mom had told me to raise my guard and envision a bubble of safety around myself so as to not get overwhelmed by the intense energies that were going to be present at Ripa Villa. So halfway through the tour, I thought to myself that it must be the stupid protective bubble that was making it to where I wasn't feeling anything spooky. So I envisioned that bubble fading away and silently encouraged something, anything to happen. At first, there was nothing, and I thought I really might just not get any sort of paranormal encounter. And then, gradually, I started to feel a little sick. I got a horrible headache and started to feel really angry and then sad. So sad that I was barely fighting back tears. I felt such an overwhelming sense of doom and hopelessness. And eventually, my mom turned to me and noticed that I was at the brink of all but throwing myself to the floor and crying my eyes out. So she quickly pulled me aside and then she asked me what was wrong and what had happened. And I told her that I had brought down that protective bubble that she told me to put up because I wanted to experience some of the things that she was in the house. I was still pretty shaken up after the whole thing, though. So we ended up leaving early and to make me feel better, she took me to go shopping for some good old retail therapy to heal our souls. My work as a medium has given me an insider's view of the true casualties of life. It is heartbreaking when an earthbound spirit is held back and believes that they can't move forward. In these cases, it is evident that the person has had a fear that plagued their life, an experience that was so unsettling that they are unwilling or unable to cross over. Through investigations of countless old buildings and homes, I've met with many spirits who were scared and angry about the way their life was handled when they were alive. 
Some of these spirits are heavy with regrets and guilt, while others seem to be angry and caught up in a personal story of injustice. On one paranormal investigation, I accompanied a team of paranormal experts to the house of a man and his family who were experiencing extreme paranormal activity. The man would actually come home from work to find pictures taken off the walls and water running endlessly. His children were so frightened, they reported seeing mist hanging in their bedrooms at night and actually woke up often with scratches on their body. The man told the paranormal team that he thought the spirit might be the spirit of his deceased crazy ex-wife haunting his home. When I began my walkthrough of the house, I actually didn't find his crazy ex-wife, but instead I encountered the spirit of an elderly woman who quickly started to speak and show me images about all that was upsetting her. According to the woman, she was the first owner of this house where she lived for many years and cared for her husband until he died. The man who was now living in the house with his family was a contractor. He'd recently gutted this old home and updated it. As I wrapped up my walkthrough, all of a sudden this woman started yelling at me all over again. She, she broke into this angry chant, lizards and smoke, lizards and smoke. <laughs> again and again. So when I returned to the living room, I related my findings back to the team and to the man living in the house. He actually confirmed all of the new house changes that the old woman was referring to. I was reluctant to bring up the part about lizards and smoke. It was just so random. But my stubborn curiosity got the best of me. I told the owner of the house this last piece of strange and confusing information. He did not say one single word. He just turned around to the hallway behind him, pulled open the accordion doors to the laundry room, where he revealed several tanks of iguana and lizard occupants. The man also confirmed that he did in fact smoke, but only in his room. This is the room that happened to be the same room where a wife cared for her husband until the day he died. The paranormal team did an incredible and professional job as they work through the night in hopes to understand the stories of the spirit and to help bring closure to both sides. After the investigation, the family reported that the paranormal activity had all but stopped. I feel in my heart that the team of people that came willing to hear this woman's story and frustrations truly allowed her to release the pain she was holding and move on to the next phase of life in the afterlife. So I don't have nearly as much experience doing paranormal investigations and ghost hunts like my mother, but one paranormal event that stands out to me most in my memory happened when I was around nine years old. A few years after we had moved from Nevada to Tennessee, my great-grandfather had passed away. He and my great-grandmother lived down the road from us, and I was very fond of both of them, even as a kid. I was heartbroken when he passed away, and as a family, we mourned his passing. About a week after Grandpa's funeral, I had a very strange and disturbing dream. It started in the kitchen of my grandparents' house. My grandmother was at the stove, stirring something in this huge metal canning pot. She put a lid on the pot and continued to chop vegetables and other things and puttered around for a bit, preparing this dinner she was working on. After a moment, she went back to the pot and lifted the lid, 
and out from the pot rose this mutated version of my recently passed away grandfather. He grabbed her and dragged her into the pot with her, and just like that, she was gone. The kitchen stood now cold and empty. I woke up from this dream feeling pretty sickly. I had a pit in my stomach and a feeling of just overall dread, like something was definitely wrong. It was a chilly, rainy day out, and it was on a weekend. I remember walking miserably out of my room and into the living room where my dad and brother were curled up on the couch watching TV. I joined them, and after a moment, my dad said, Guys, I have something to tell you. Great-grandma passed away last night. Now, it could be that my dream was simply residual pain from the loss of my great-grandfather, but it certainly felt like more than that. It seemed to me, even as a child, that it was more than a nightmare. It is my belief that it was a premonition of sorts, or maybe even my grandmother trying to communicate to me a farewell while I slept. If that is, in fact, the case, then it's not that my grandmother wanted me to have a nightmare, or it was my brain giving subtle information and found a way to process it through a dream. Information like this can often come from spirits. Many of them simply are just reaching out, trying to say or show you something. And you just get this turning in your gut, or flashes of unpleasant or grotesque imagery. Could you help explain this a little bit more, Mom? That's actually a really good question. I've noticed when spirits are very excited or animated, ready to convey their point to someone, their emotions can come through extreme and forceful. And as your body and your mind receive those energetic impulses, it can run through your fear and your processing centers, creating almost like a fight or flight response to a message. So ultimately, you just have a spirit really excited and very emotional to convey an important piece of information. And your brain is just not ready yet or you know preparing so sometimes things can get a little lost and fuzzy in the exchange not all interactions with spirits end up with a happily ever crossing over after story one specific extreme paranormal incident comes to my mind for a short while i worked at a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center I remember the first day I set foot on the property. I immediately felt like throwing up as I started looking at these old cabins on the grounds. Something felt intensely wrong. I was put in charge of the overnight shifts in the women's cabins. After the women would go to sleep for the night, usually around 10 or 11, the lights in the cabin would begin to rapidly flicker off and on. I would watch before my very eyes spirits forming and solidifying. Especially this one woman, a strong spirit with gaunt features and hollowed eyes. This truly was the kind of image that you would see in a scary movie. It was pretty clear to me that these were not the type of spirits that were open and willing to receive my help or anything interested in crossing over to the light. Days to come, the women in the cabin would wake up screaming, describing the apparition of the hollow-eyed woman that I had seen nights before. They even had the scratches to back up their terrifying encounters. I took measures into my own hands and shared these stories with my overnight co-workers. I would bring my electromagnetic detectors, 
also known as ghost equipment, to help me just determine how strong the energy was. I mean, after all, she wasn't much of a talker. The equipment went off constantly through the night, further validating that we had an extreme haunting on our hands. One night, when the cabin was dormant, with no patience, two of my co-workers decided to investigate the activity further. It was my night off, so I explained to them how to use the equipment and emphasized several times that under no circumstances should they taunt or become disrespectful in any way to any of the spirits. I made them promise. So now we'll actually go to my old coworker so he can give his firsthand experience about what continued to unfold that night. This happened over at the, uh, the empty cabin on the mail side, the first one that you got to, Sweet Gum which had been vacant ever since I started working there. I've been there nine years now. So I was working detox that night, and there were only two cabins open, and Brantley was staffed in one, Cheyenne was staffed in the other. I'd finished paperwork. I had a little bit of wall time, so I got on the cart, drove up the hill with the uh, spirit box, and I don't know why I took the EMF. I took that, too. Um Brantley and Cheyenne got on the porch uh, Sweet Gum. We didn't have the keypad to it. Right. And the, the front doors were uh, hard locked. The side door was an electronic keypad, which, of course, we didn't have the key to. And uh, they got on the porch, and they were doing their things. And I had the, the spirit box, and I took it in that cabin. And Brantley was asking questions, went into the laundry room, nothing. Asked a few questions and nothing. I don't know. It might have been probably less than 10 minutes since we had clients asleep and didn't really want to wake them up. And I remember asking uh, something along the lines of, I asked a question. They didn't do anything. It's like, it's like, why are you not talking to Brantley? Do you not like him? And I promise you to this day that a male voice came out and just said, no. How many people are here with us? So Brantley's already not in good standing, I guess, for some reason. And he was, I've known this guy since middle school. Right? He's really been that passive. That night, him and Cheyenne started provoking as Cheyenne is wont to do about anything. So I'm just like, well, I'm not a part of this. And so they're trying to get any sort of response they possibly can. It might be... Maybe 10 minutes we're on that porch uh, of Sweet Gum and nothing. So I get a radio call, hey, nursing needs you back in detox. So I take the equipment, pack it up, get back on the car, drive back to detox. I help out with nursing for a few minutes and then I go to file the uh, charts in that little chart room. And while I was in there, the power quickly flickered enough to slam some of those magnetic doors. I didn't think about it. I was I opened them back up about that time. The radio came on. It's like, Jeremy, you're needed back up on the hill. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. So I drive back up there. And as I'm driving up, I notice that the magnetic door on Sweet Gum is wide open. I'm like, ah, oh, that's not good. That's not good. Now we got to clear this building, make sure no one got in it. But before we did that, I went around and checked every other building that had magnetic doors. They're all locked tight. So I'm like, oh, that's ominous. Yeah. So, of course, Cheyenne immediately backs out. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> I get to have a date with this captain. And Brantley, out of character, kind of goes, here, I'll go first. And kind of gives me a little 
sidearm, not push out of the way, but enough so he can go ahead of me. I'm like, sure. Which is, again, out of character for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, it is. So we walk in, and we round the corner, because um, it's like an L-shaped uh, hall- tiny hallway that goes into the big one. Mm-hmm. And he goes just enough where he can look into the first room, and he did. He let out like a little wheeze kind of sound where you could hear like air moving. And then he turns around and he goes to move, or I guess run. He uh, he slips, he gets up, he scrambles, he like kind of pushes me out of the way, runs out, and starts having a panic attack. So I have to go out there and see what's wrong with him. Right. I calm him down, and he swears to it to this day that. When he rounded the corner, he looked into the room, and he saw uh, what he claims to be a figure standing on or through one of the beds, just staring back at him. And he looked, fight or flight kicked in, and it chose run. Did he describe any more about what he saw, or it was just that it was a figure and I'm out? From what I asked him originally, and I haven't talked about it lately, right? The figure had the glowing white eyes, and it just he just lost his mind. He completely panicked. He uh, like I said, turned around, scrambled out the door, and started like dry heaving and having the panic attack on the porch. Right, and that's that's actually yeah. really uh, synonymous with what the girls would report seeing that you know strange hollow-eyed figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The moral of this story is that no matter what happens in spirit conversations whether they are rude, disgruntled and emotional, or kind, loving and enthusiastic. Keep your balance and stillness. Become as non-reactive as you possibly can. Always lead with respect. Making classifications of good or bad spirits in these situations will only stunt your ability to see clearly. The dead always have a story just like the living. Maybe you will be the one to make the difference that can last an eternity. There are still so many things in this world and the next that we have yet to completely understand. Dealing with these things that you can't always see or touch can be frustrating and perhaps even frightening. However, I hope that in this episode, we've helped explain a little bit more of this world of the unknown. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Unworldly Everything.